Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Welcome to 2023. From the perspective of the high-rise office or the retail floor, the life of long-haul truckers might seem footloose and free from the annoyances of other types of work. But the idea of the trucker as a rogue along the highways is more myth than reality. Digital tracking systems have brought truckers under remarkable surveillance, controlling their work lives as tightly as any call center worker. In a fascinating new book, Data Driven, Scholar Karen Levy explores how long-haul truckers work with and against these new forms of control. And if you work somewhere even near a computer, I think you'll find some of the truckers' dilemmas to be quite recognizable. That's all coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Driver's blues, the kind you can't lose if you ain't driving. Through mountains and valleys and back into alleys too small. Man, I got these truck driver's blues, the kind you can't lose if you ain't moving. That is Merle Haggard's Truck Driver Blues, a sort of ode to all the things that can go wrong on the road. Good intro for Karen Levy's new book, Data Driven, Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance. There's a fascinating idea embedded in the book, and it's that we have rules that govern society, but it's just the nature of reality that they're not perfectly enforced. The speed limit is just a guideline of how many miles per hour your car should travel. Your car's top speed's not precisely limited to 65 miles per hour, right? Well, digital technology can enforce rules much more precisely than previous systems, and that's exactly what's happened in trucking, much to the chagrin of many truckers who've lost a dimension of their working freedom. Here with us to explore the work life of modern truckers, how digital surveillance affects them, and what that could mean for the rest of us, we're joined by Karen Levy, who is an associate professor in the Department of Information Science at Cornell. Welcome, Karen. Hi, nice to be with you. So, you know, we heard a little bit of that Merle Haggard, and we know that trucking is a, you know, it's a part of American culture at, as well. What do you think trucking has meant to Americans like over time? Yeah, I mean, you know, we like to talk a lot about essential workers these days, and truckers are 
really about as essential as it gets. Um, you know, if you look around whatever room you're in right now, or you look at the clothes on your body or the things that you own, there's a very high likelihood that all of that stuff was at some point on a truck being driven by a trucker. They're just like unbelievably essential to the way the economy functions, to, you know, our expectations of getting our packages on time. And I think even in the digital age, you know, people sometimes think physical stuff doesn't matter so much, but in the digital age, I think truckers, you know, are even more essential because now we all want our packages in two days and we want to know exactly where everything is all the time. So they're about as essential as it gets. However, the public's opinion of truckers as human beings and as laborers, I think doesn't quite match how essential they are to our economy and to how how necessary they are to us. So they're almost like human infrastructure, right? Like we need them, but we only kind of think about them when something goes wrong. And like how big is the trucking industry? Yeah, it's huge. So there's it's there're roughly 2 million long-haul truckers in the United States and long-haul drivers who are kind of the focus of my study. These are the folks who are driving like hundreds of miles at a time, right? So not this is not including like your delivery drivers or, you know, your local drivers who are delivering a package to your house, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's about two million folks who are driving the long haul. Mm. So what's life like for one of these long haul truckers now in America in the year 2023? Yeah, it's not great. Um, you know, trucking, like Merle Haggard sang about, right, and and as a lot of kind of the cultural iconography of, of the 70s and 80s especially, kind of paints this picture of trucking as, you know, free and escapist and this kind of way out for a lot of folks, especially folks who maybe came from small towns or came from places where, you know, it was kind of hard for them to work in more traditional workplaces like a factory or a farm or something. A lot of these are people who you know, really wanted nobody looking over their shoulder, right? Or they really wanted some of the autonomy that they weren't able to get in a lot of other blue collar work. But, you know, what people often kind of come to find out when they get into the industry is that a lot of the promise of freedom that's kind of depicted in in song or in movies doesn't, like, it doesn't really live up to the hype. And the truckers are actually kind of under the eye in a lot of surprising ways, right? They're subject to a lot of surveillance um, from the companies they work for and from the government. And so the focus of my book has been kind of trying to understand what types of things truckers are dealing with today. Um, a lot of it starts now from just the wages truckers are paid. Mm. So truckers in 2023 make about $47,000 a year. Truckers in 1980 made about $110,000 in today's dollars mm. back then, right? So the wages in trucking have just plummeted and like have stayed pretty, like they haven't moved much in the last 10 or 15 years. So we kind of the starting point for all of this is just how much truckers work and how little they're paid for the work that they do. Mm. And that is in large part due to deregulation, right? We had yeah. essentially a quite regulated trucking industry before, let's call it the late 1970s and then 1980 when a big law goes into effect. So right. what what happened there, right? It was a unionized, regulated industry, gets deregulated, shipping rates fall, but even more than the shipping rates fall, the earnings for truck drivers just collapse. Exactly, exactly. One of the things that kind of gets competed away by deregulation is truckers' wages, right? So as you mentioned, you know, before 1980, the government has a, plays a really significant role in setting the rates within trucking, in deciding who gets to run a trucking company, right? Like you have to go through a government process to do that. And that all goes away in 1980. So there's, you know, massive turnover, a bunch of companies go bankrupt. And one of the things that happens is that, yeah, as you mentioned, shipping rates go down and then truckers' wages just decline like crazy. Um, it becomes a much more difficult industry in which to make a living. 
Um, truckers get stretched. They have always been kind of, you know, stretched to the limit, but they're stretched well beyond their limits at that time because, you know, just to keep the lights on at home or to feed their families, they're suddenly needing to just like drive, sometimes quite literally drive themselves to death, right? They have to drive, you know, well past physical limits. Um, and there's a long history that I talk about in the book of the ways that truckers have kind of, um, you know, figured out ways to do that, right? Figured out ways to kind of do what they needed to do. A lot of this ends up being tied to the way truckers are paid. So truckers in the United States are paid by the mile. They have this saying, which is, if the wheel ain't turning, you ain't earning. So you don't get paid if you're a long haul trucker for the time that you're sitting in traffic or the time that you're inspecting your truck or the time that you're waiting to get loaded or unloaded. You're only paid when you're moving down the highway. And so it's not surprising that folks want to move down the highway, right? Like they they you know drive even when they're tired they drive even when they're you know maybe exceeding the legal regulations about how much they can drive like that's what they have to do to make a living um and they do that at great physical risk you know to themselves and sometimes to other people so trucking has i think it's the eighth highest rate of occupational fatalities in the US it's a very diff- i mean you're away from your family all the time truckers have just a host of different um different health problems associated with kind of shift work syndrome right like driving kind of at all hours of the day dealing with, you know, how difficult it is to eat healthily or to exercise on the road. Like, it's a very difficult lifestyle. Mm. So how'd you research this thing? I mean, did you just go and hang around at truck stops and just start interviewing people? <laughs> I mean, pretty much, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was how it started, uh, much to the chagrin of my parents who thought I was in grad school to <laughs> do something quite different than that. But um, yeah, I started researching the trucking industry way back in 2011. So it's been a while now. Um, but yeah, I was a, a graduate student studying sociology, and I wanted to study rules and technology and kind of how technology impacts the ways in which we do or don't follow rules and how people interact with one another on the ground. And one day I heard actually on public radio a story about truckers and the fact that truckers were maybe going to be digitally monitored according to some new um, Department of Transportation regulations mm-hmm. and that they were upset about this. So I, I just heard that. I didn't know anything about trucking. I'd never met a trucker. There's no truckers in my family. Um, But that day I went to a truck stop, you know, just to see like, well, what does this feel like? What are these Mm -hmm. people like? And it was just addictive. Like truck, I know you've talked to a lot of truckers too, right? (laughs) Truckers just, they have fascinating stories and they don't get to tell them very much because they work alone. Um, and I just found it so interesting to hear about the work they do and how, how hard they work. And, um, so it was, I was just into it. I just like fell down a very deep rabbit hole. And then I talked to folks, I went to 11 States altogether I talked to just hundreds and hundreds of people, including, you know, truckers, but also anyone else who touched the industry. So, Mm. you know, regulators, safety managers, insurance agents, um, you know, technology vendors, just anybody who would talk to me. Um, And it's been a lot of fun. It was really, really fun to to kind of get some insight into that industry. And you got to just to set up our next segment here. I mean, you also were there during this time when trucking surveillance and the kind of regulations around it kind of got digitized. Right. I mean, they went from Mm -hmm. being kind of keeping track of their miles in a logbook as required by law to being sort of automatically tracked by these surveillance devices. Exactly, exactly. So that's kind of the centerpiece of the book is the advent of this technology that's called the electronic logging device or the ELD, it's called in trucking. And in 2017, the government mandated that all truckers had to, you you know, install and use these devices. And these are hardwired into the truck and they keep track of where the truck is and how much the trucker has been driving, right? How much the truck has been driven. Um, And so because I started studying this in 2011, you know, there was a big debate about electronic logging that had been going on for a while. And I got to kind of see that moment of transition, right? So sort of to understand, 
you know, what is this system replacing? What are the things that's going to change on the ground? Why is it that truckers are really resistant to this change? And what is it going to mean for the way that they relate to one another? That's oh, so interesting. And I mean, just what did you find? Do people like it, dislike it? Is there <laughs> is it is it across the board similar or are there huge variations? They, you know, they don't love it. I mean, it's a big industry, right? So whenever you have an industry of 2 million people, there will be different views about things. Um, and I certainly did talk to some truckers who felt that um, electronic logging maybe leveled the playing field for them, or they had hopes at least that um, this might help protect them from, you know, other folks who were willing to kind of drive like crazy that maybe they wouldn't be able to do that anymore. But by and large, truckers were, you know, were not and are not a fan of these devices. Um, and when I talked to them about why, like almost without exception, truckers compared these devices to treating them either like children or like mm. criminals, right? So what they suggested is like, you know, I'm a per I'm a professional person who's been doing this dangerous work, you know, maybe for decades. Like I put myself and my life, you know, on the line every day and I know myself, right? Like I know how to do this work. And now you're telling me that you're going to, you know, monitor me and and I think we'll get into this in a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. You know, learn a bunch of stuff about, you know, fairly detailed information about my body and my behaviors in the truck. Um, that didn't sit really well with a lot of drivers. Mm -hmm. We're talking about electronic surveillance in the trucking industry with Karen Levy, author of a new book, Data-Driven, Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance. We would love to hear from you. Are you a long-haul trucker right now listening in your truck, or maybe you're at home? How do you feel about these electronic logging devices? And if you're not a trucker, what types of surveillance have you noticed in your workplace? Are there new things that have been installed that you like or don't like? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. We'll be back with more on electronic surveillance and trucking right after this break. I got nothing in common with any man who's home every day at five. All I do is This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about electronic surveillance in the trucking industry with Karen Levy, author of a new book, Data Driven, Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance, also a professor in the School of Information Science at uh, Cornell. And we'll take some of your calls this hour as well. want to know, are you a long-haul trucker? How do you feel about the electronic logging devices that have been required to be installed in, in trucks across the country. The number is 866-733-6786, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. 
Karen, before the break, we were talking about these electronic logging devices. These are these little uh, tracking units that are installed, hardwired into trucks. So people want, you know, regulators and maybe some trucking companies and other folks, they wanted to install these things for a variety of reasons. And the nominal reason, right, was that they that they wanted truckers to obey the rules, right? Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit more about what those rules are like and why they thought these devices might be necessary? Yeah, definitely. So truckers in the United States are subject to regulations regarding how much they can drive every day. And they have been since the 1930s, right? So every day... And every week, there's a maximum number of hours you can drive. The rules themselves are a little complicated, but it's basically 11 hours a day of driving and 70 hours a week. And then you have to take a long break. Mm. There's more detail to it. That's a lot of driving. 70 hours a week is a lot of driving. (laughs) It's a lot of driving. There's a bunch of reasons why, like, there are things that happen on the road that makes it make it hard for truckers to comply with those rules, um, including the way they're paid, as I mentioned, but also, you know, just the organization of the industry. So truckers spend a lot of time, for example, waiting to be loaded and unloaded at terminals. Like they can sometimes wait up to four, five, six hours. Um, When they reach a place, it's almost like when you get somewhere in an airplane and then you have to taxi for like three hours while you're there. There's a lot of that in the trucking industry, which is unpaid time, right? They spend a lot of time doing things for which they're not paid. And so they haven't always complied with the rules very much at all. Um, And the way in which they've been the way that, that truckers have kept track of the time that they drive historically is using paper and pencil logbooks. So these are just like a little pad of paper. You can buy them for a couple dollars at a truck stop and you write down how many hours you've been driving that day. And it's not connected to your pay, but you have to be prepared to give that to a law enforcement officer, like to an inspector. If you get pulled over or you go through a way station, the issue is that because there's so much that happens kind of in the life of trucking, that doesn't always allow you to kind of do things as planned, right? Like you get stuck in traffic, you have to wait to be unloaded, stuff like that. Truckers are like not super honest on these forms, right? Like Mm. it's kind of widely acknowledged that truckers will call these like their comic books or their coloring books. Like they just (laughs) wouldn't, they would falsify these logs pretty regularly. It's kind of an open secret. And so because of that, um, the DOT, starting in the 1980s, they started talking about you know, well, if people aren't following these rules- That's the Department of Transportation, so- Yeah, sorry, yeah, that's the, the Department of Transportation. If people aren't following these rules and we think they should, let's just track them digitally, right? Like, let's make kind of a more tamper-proof system to kind of compel compliance with these rules. And so that was kind of how the ELD kind of became a part of the conversation. Um, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, so so what happens when they get installed? I mean, if you haven't been obeying these rules, does that mean that, you know, kind of everything about your work life kind of changes overnight when one of these goes into your truck? Right. So a lot of what has been really interesting to uncover is that, well, there's a couple of things. One is that, you know, the the nominal reason, as you mentioned, for for these um, for the the for mandatory electronic logging is that people aren't following the rules. Now, what we haven't done is kind of change the conditions or change the incentives in trucking so that people can make a living or can be paid for the actual hours that they work. Um, you know, all we've done is kind of police harder, but we haven't like changed the root causes of fatigue or of Mm -hmm. overwork. So, you know, truckers are still paid the same way they've always been paid. You know, they still struggle to make ends meet. All that this has done is kind of cracked down on a behavior that we really made necessary because of the way we organize the industry. Truckers are exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act in the United States, so they're not entitled to overtime pay, right? They don't get any of the other protections that, that many workers in the United States get. And none of that has changed, right? Like that's not the way we kind of chose to deal with the problem. Even though it's an economic problem, we, we kind of tried to roll out like a technological solution to that problem. The other thing that happens is that, you know, trucking companies um, 
are also interested in the things that truckers are doing, right? The government has an interest in what truckers are doing, but companies do too. And so when logging became mandatory, when companies had to buy these devices, they said like, you know what we should also do, like now that we have these trackers in all of our trucks, let's collect a whole bunch of data that's useful to us as managers to try to save money, right? Or to try to um, be more fuel efficient or you know, more cost efficient in some way. And so they started rolling out a bunch of different capabilities connected to the logging device to track things like, you know, how much fuel a trucker was using or how mm. fast he was going or whether he was changing lanes without signaling or all kinds of like performance monitoring. And they would use this to generate scorecards for drivers often that they would use to like incentivize, you know, the types of things that, that product, productivity monitoring that we see in lots of workplaces now um, you know, pitting drivers against one another to kind of compete for who could be, who could get the best score on some metric, that kind of thing. So the the government mandate has sort of been like a scaffold or a backbone for this mm-hmm. much broader swath of surveillance that truckers deal with. That's so interesting. Um, let's bring in our uh, our first caller here, Michael in Oakland. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks, Alexis. Um, so, yeah, people do not like being surveyed at the workplace or anywhere else. It feels uncomfortable. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but most places where you have worker or government surveillance, it's really just to extract productivity out of you. Um, and that's a part of what's going on here. But also, we are making sure that people are not speeding, that people are not uh, changing lanes without signaling that people are not driving when they are fatigued and so forth. And as was mentioned, like this is the occupation that has the eighth highest rate of workplace Mm -hmm. fatalities. Uh, These accidents kill a lot of people who are not the truckers themselves. Mm -hmm. They cause enormous amounts of chaos on our roads, as anyone listening to the traffic reports on KQBD will know. Um, Mm -hmm. if, If these devices are going to reduce the rate of all that mayhem and lost productivity and just waste of people's lives, uh, good. <laughs> if there's a cost to that in people's just discomfort with being surveyed, I, I think that is a more than fair trade-off. Mm. Michael, that is a, I mean, it's, it's a great point. It is. And Karen has a response to this as well, <laughs> which, I'm, which I think is, is it's fascinating because, I mean, this is why we would want to do it. I mean, how jackknife truck is like a thing that everybody knows because of exactly right, the, the cost that society has to bear when there is an accident with one of these large uh, machines. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. And I'm so glad, Michael, that you that you raised that point. Um, and I agree. Right. You could easily make an argument that, like, you know what? The public roads are the public roads. If you sign up to work on the public roads, then maybe this is just something you have to deal with, right? For all of us, for all of our safety. I mean, I certainly don't want to die in an accident on the highway. I don't, I mean, truckers don't either. We're all sort of aligned in wanting public safety. The issue is that even on its own terms, right? Even if we think only about the safety impacts of electronic logging, the, the devices fail on that count. And there's two reasons why that I'll tell you. One of them is that the electronic logs introduce a degree of rigidity to the trucking industry that hasn't existed before. So if you think about, you know, if I told you you had 11 hours to drive from here to, I don't know, someplace 11 hours from where you are now, right, your grandmother's house or something, um, you know, and you had about 11 hours, right, the way we normally kind of talk about time and, and the road. You know, if you ran into bad weather or if you decided you needed a cup of coffee because you were nodding off or if you kind of felt like something was wrong with your tire, you would have the time to kind of stop and think, like look at that, right? Or make sure that everything was safe before moving on. And if you got there 11 and a half hours later, it wouldn't be a big deal. In tr- but if I told you like, you know what, you have 11 hours or else you're getting written out of your grandmother's will, 
like you would just drive like a bat out of hell, right? You would drive like crazy, even if you were tired, even if the conditions were crappy, because like that's what the rules require, right? And you don't want to be in violation of the rules. And that same thing has happened in trucking. So the studies that we have about the mandate show that in the year after the mandate became effective, crash rates actually went up, fatalities actually went up. And the reason why people think this happened is that truckers kind of compensated for the rigidity of the timekeeping rules by driving faster, right? Or by, by driving more recklessly or by not not kind of taking the time to do the things that they needed to do to get from A to B safely. The other thing that's happening is that, you know, if you if you tell people who've been driving professionally for decades, you know, I know you've been doing this for a long time, but we have a new way you're going to be doing this. And it kind of flies in the face of your professional identity, you know, but this is just how it is now. This is like the trade-off that we've decided is, is proper. A lot of those people are going to leave the industry. And what is happening in trucking is that those veteran drivers, like those old hands, are the folks you most want behind the wheel. And those are the folks who are most likely to leave because of the shift in kind of what the truck cab has come to mean for them. The people who are less resistant to surveillance are 18-year-olds who just got their commercial driver's licenses. And those are not the folks you want to be next to on the high right, right? right? Those are actually the most, the most dangerous drivers statistically. So because of that kind of turnover and because of the rigidity, you know, even if we thought only about safety, we would see that, that you know, the project is like not succeeding on its own terms. Fascinating. We'll talk about some of the negative externalities, too, in a minute. But first, let's go to uh, Tia in uh, Nevada City. Welcome. Hi there. Thank you. Um, I'm passionate about this because I started dating a trucker, and he's an immigrant. He's Persian. Hmm. There are a lot of immigrants that go into this because you don't have to speak English as your first language and mm -hmm. because it has freedom. And he idealized it because it's tough. It's tough to drive a truck. And, you know, it's kind of sexy. It's the, the independent romance, the open road that he was really into. And then he gets there with this electronic road, you know, this electronic surveillance. And it's like wearing a Paroli's ankle bracelet. And it makes it so dangerous for him. If weather's coming in, he can't make the decision to go ahead and go down the road and get away from the weather. Mm. It, you know, he tells him, you will stay here and be caught in that storm. And on the East Coast, there are plenty of truck stops. Even then, they can be full. On the West Coast, there are no truck stops here. Mm -hmm. And when those things are full, you can only have a semi in a truck stop or a Walmart parking lot or, uh, or a, a rest area. And when those are full, you are out of compliance. You can get a ticket, and you got to keep going. You got nowhere to go, mm -hmm. and then you're mm -hmm. out of compliance with the electronic logbook. So the whole thing's screwed up. And then I see that Joe Biden has formed a committee to figure out how to get these truckers back. Why are we losing truckers? And they decided, in the government wisdom, that we're losing so many truckers because they need mentors. <laughs> They need mentors. Not we need to reverse the policy that, as you pointed out, has resulted in actually a less safer road. But we we just need to give them buddies out there in this independent, you know, way of life. The whole thing's ridiculous. And I'm really passionate about saying, let's go back to these Congress people and say, hey, it didn't work. We have data. You're losing truckers, as you point out. They're the lifeblood of how we get our goods. Let's put two and two together, people, and let's get rid of this mm -hmm. electronic blog. Hey, Tia, thank you so much. Uh, I was not sure we would have passionate listeners on this topic, and I'm glad that we have found one. Um, Tia in Nevada City, thank you so much. And earlier, uh, Michael uh, as well. Really appreciate both of those perspectives. Um, Karen, kind of two 
questions kind of came out of Tia's experience as she was relating it. One is the way that masculinity and kind of, you know, toughness plays into the the trucking industry, that kind of the, the, the not just the sense of the open road, but the sense of like endurance. Like these are endurance athletes in a in a sense. Mm-hmm. And the other is the way that perfect enforcement is not actually what like like the example that she gave of there's weather coming in, but you're at ten hours and fifty minutes, you have to stop even though you want to get away from the weather system. And so you might drive for two more hours and then stop. And that would actually be a safer decision, which these devices can actually compute. Um, so take take whichever one of those you, you want. <laughs> I mean, they're both great questions. And, and Tia, thank you for calling in and sharing your own perspectives on this, which track, I think, very closely with some of the things that I found um, and talk about in the book. I mean, maybe to kind of start with your second point, you know, I totally agree with this. This idea that came up a lot in my in my conversations with truckers was that, you know, they used to think of themselves as the captain of the ship, right? And they were in charge of safety decisions because they were the only one who could make those decisions, right? Nobody else was in the cab. Nobody else had any insight into, you know, maybe even where they were, right? Like maybe their companies, back in the day, the company only knew where you were when you went to a, a payphone and called them, right? Like that was, so you had total autonomy to decide, when it was safe for you to drive and, and you know, when it was safe for you to stop and all that kind of thing. The other thing that, you know, you you brought up in your in your point, Tia, um, is that, you know, we we make these kind of demands of drivers and then we enforce the rules, you know, quite rigidly. But we don't necessarily provide the infrastructure that folks need to be able to make these decisions safely. So, you know, you you made a point about kind of the availability of truck parking. This is a huge issue in the industry, right? Like there are not places for you know, these workers, these essential workers to use the bathroom safely, to park and sleep safely. Um, There's a lot of nimbyism around truck stops, like nobody wants a truck stop in their county because people are, because truckers have a negative public reputation or, you know, for for other reasons. So we kind of make these demands of folks, but then we don't kind of concomitantly give them the tools that they need to be able to do this, to be able to do this work safely. And I think that leads to actually to kind of loop back to the first part of the question, that leads to this kind of culture of, you know, cowboyism, right? Like this idea of stamina, this idea of, um, you know, I have to do this work against all odds or, you know, past the point that my I can do it safely. You know, a lot of my conversations with drivers really made clear that like those are um, kind of cultural constructs, constructs that arise from the economic straits that folks mm-hmm. find themselves in, right? Like they have to adopt those attitudes mm-hmm. because they have to get this work done, right? They have to like be able to kind of, um, develop an identity that allows them to do these really, really difficult things. And the culture of trucking is kind of a response to the way that we make it so difficult for these people to do their work. That's so interesting. I mean, 70 hours a week, I mean, that's just the the driving part, not not even the full job. Um, it's just what we're asking of people is really, um, it's very tough. Um, let's get uh, Chris in San Jose. Welcome. Hey, thank you. First time caller, long-time listener. Um, I just want to make a comment. I used to be an Amazon driver up in Detroit, Michigan, and um, I realized, um, you know, what was happening. People were doing things that were illegal, such as skipping their lunch break to deliver more packages. They were, um, you know, driving faster just because it was a, such a high pressure to deliver so many packages within your shift. Um, and now I'm a community organizer, and I firmly believe that the people with the direct experience have the best solutions to their problem, as mm-hmm. um, especially as it relates to accountability. And so my question is, is there a way – it sounds like the Department of Transportation is the entity that's uh, mandating this. Is there a way – 
where they can actually collaborate with a team of truckers to um, implement and create accountability measures. Because from my experience, you know, like people in these professions, they don't want slackers because they, they make the whole <laughs> the whole system look bad. And so I, th- I just think that there was more collaboration and more intentional um, outreach to these truckers that there might be a, a system that might work for everybody. Karen? That's, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it that way. I, and I think, you know, truckers truckers know what the problems are in the industry, right? And for them, it ultimately comes down to things like pay. I mean, pay is central, right? If you solve the pay problem, if people can drive a reasonable amount, be paid for the work that they do and, you know, get home safely, that's like the ultimate, right? And the issue is that we haven't, you know, kind of provided, um, you know, through legislation or through regulation, kind of the wherewithal for folks to be able to do that. There is pending legislation in Congress right now that would exempt, so I mentioned that truckers are exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act, which gives them, which would give them overtime pay. And there is some bipartisan support for, for repealing that exemption, right, for allowing truckers to make overtime pay. That would be just a game changer in my view, because then truckers could get paid for the work that they do. There's also some pending legislation around things like allowing truckers to use bathrooms at the terminals where they um, deliver mm-hmm. goods, right, which right now, like, there's a lot of places won't let truckers use the bathroom. Jeez. I mean, those types of things would solve a lot of the problems that make this, you know, kind of a dirty job and, you know, a poorly paid job. There's some, there's some really good literature from kind of transport economics comparing trucking to um, like sweatshops on wheels. There's a wonderful book called mm-hmm. Sweatshops on Wheels. And if you think about it, you know, the rate of pay and the risk and all that, it's really pretty similar in trucking. Yeah, I think that's, uh, is that Michael Bell's? Or yeah, Sweatshops on yeah, wheels? it is. Yeah, yeah, that's a great good, book. Very good. We're talking about electronic surveillance in the trucking industry with Karen Levy, author of a new book, Data-Driven Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance. We're going out uh, of this segment with a little Grateful Dead songs, Trucking. Stay tuned for more after the break. Hang it up and see what tomorrow brings. Dallas got a soft machine. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. on. 
This is Ronnie Millsap's Prisoner of the Highway. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about electronic surveillance in the trucking industry with Karen Levy, who's the author of a new book, Data Driven, Truckers, Technology, and the New Workplace Surveillance. She's also a professor at Cornell. And I'm interested in hearing from you on what types of surveillance you've noticed in your workplace like, we're talking about truckers here, but there's workplace surveillance that's been deployed across a wide range of industries, and we'd love to hear. Have you noticed, and how are you feeling about it? The number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we're KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. I'm going to take uh, another caller. It's uh, Raya in Hayward. Welcome, Raya. Good morning. Hi, Brad. Um, what, what's your question? Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. My question is, um, well, I run the employment services at my college, and I notice a lot of companies these days are coming to me because they are looking for those 18, 20-year-old uh, truckers or truck drivers because there's such a shortage right now. And, uh, and they're not paid well. So I know you guys discussed it a little bit earlier. Um, I'm wondering, how are the... Is the Teamsters are the union representing truckers, right? I mean, how are they involved in legislating or putting in uh, feedback regarding this device? And um, I'm sure, like the gentleman that called in from Amazon, they're not unionized. So, how are the unions inv- um, involved yeah. in in uh, this uh, implementation? Yeah, there's a mm-hmm. there's a very interesting answer to this question, Raya. Thanks for uh, posing it. Yeah, it's a it is a really good question. Um, I think there's a couple interesting interesting points that Ryan made. I mean, the first is just about you know you alluded to this labor shortage in trucking. A trucker would be very fast to tell you that it's not a labor shortage; it's a wage shortage. So there's plenty of folks who have their commercial driver's licenses who've gone through the training that's required to be a trucker. But a lot of those folks move out of the industry, right? So the rate of turnover in trucking in some segments of the industry is a hundred percent a year. So every trucker like leaves their job every year. Um, for some types of firms. And a lot of that is because we've just kind of decided that this it's okay to have an industry just chew people up and spit them out, right? Like we are always looking for more drivers and trucking because people don't stay for very long. And instead of trying to make the job more livable, you know, the solution instead has kind of been like, let's get more fresh meat into the industry. And then the other part of your question about unionization is a really interesting one. So you're right, the Teamsters, you know, were originally a trucking union. Nowadays, and part of this is the deregulation story again, unions have a very limited role to play in long haul trucking. They have a slightly more important role um, or more impactful role in delivery or in some other segments. But in long haul, the rate of unionization of trucking in trucking is like in the low single digits. Um, I talked to almost no truckers who were unionized or even were like really interested in unionization. And when I asked truckers about whether they felt like unions might solve their problems, you know, a lot of them were pretty, pretty hesitant. Um, And I think a lot of that comes down to kind of, you know, again, just kind of this, this more libertarian perspective or feeling like, you know, they want to be able to do their work without kind of the oversight or the strictures of some bureaucratic system. So it was, you know, I think unions have important roles to play, certainly in certain types of workplaces, but in trucking, I feel like, you know, it might be better to kind of do some top-down reform, right? To do some legislative or regulatory reform rather than kind of expecting unions to kind of carry the water here. Yeah. We have a couple of drivers on the line now as well. Um, Let's go to uh, first uh, Jose in Albany. Welcome, Jose. Hey, uh, 
this is a great show. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just started driving, so I never really knew, um, knew what it was like to drive without the LED. And um, as far as I'm concerned, the LED is not really a big issue. Hmm. The big issue for me is the 14-hour clock, mm-hmm. which that that's what I'm fighting against. Because the 11-hour clock, I can stop it. But the 14-hour mm-hmm. one, I can't. Wait, tell us, tell us what that is, Jose. Well, the 14-hour clock is, you have three clocks. You have a 70-hour a, um, a clock for your week. You have an 11-hour drive time clock for your day and a 14-hour clock for your day. Right. So your 11-hour clock is the time that you're supposedly uh, taking up to drive. But I can stop that clock. Like, if I'm being loaded... I could stop that clock because I'm being loaded. I'm in the yard or if I'm fueling or whatever. But the 14-hour clock doesn't stop. Hmm. That keeps on going automatically. So regardless whether I'm being loaded or if I stop because I'm tired, that clock keeps on going. And then if I drive past those 14 hours, then I'm not complying. You understand? So I'm really I do, racing. yeah in my experience, against the 14-hour clock instead of the 11-hour one. Mm-hmm. Man. And it's, you know, uh, Jose, thank you so much for, uh, for calling and sharing that experience. I mean, Karen, this, you know, there's, there's two parts, and Jose, I'm thinking about this. There's two parts of me that are responding to this. One says, man, you shouldn't work more than 14 hours in a day. You know, <laughs> that shouldn't be required for you to make a living. You know, on the other hand, um, Karen, it's like, if Jose says he needs to work more than 14 hours, then shouldn't he be allowed to do that? Yeah, I mean, remember that when Jose is working 14 hours, he's not getting paid for those 14 hours, right? He's only paid for the drive time with unless Jose has a very unusual arrangement with his employer. You know, again, folks are only paid by the mile, right? So they're not paid for, you know, often a significant portion of that 14 hour clock is uncompensated time, right, which is really key. Because there's all kinds of stuff that can happen that can delay you and can cause you to lose compliance. So you can't even make, you know, your 11 hours within that within that 14 hours. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, I think the issue, you know, in some ways the, the electronic logging device is like almost a bit of a red herring, right? What it does in my mind is it kind of raises our awareness of how much these folks are driving and how mm. poorly compensated they are for the work that they're doing. And the rigidity of the technology is in my mind, kind of just calling attention to just mm. how untenable it is for people to be, you know, ex- to, for us to exploit their labor in the way that, that we do. Yeah, man. Hey, Jose, thank you so much for, uh, for calling in. Hope you uh, call in on some other shows uh, as well. Let's go to uh, Sajinder, who I think is on uh, 580 in Livermore right now. Welcome. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, welcome. Um, uh, thank you, sir. Uh, so I've, uh, I just got a problem like 11-hour uh, clock thing, the same thing Jose was saying. Like if they split these hours, they give more breaks on uh, in-between time, like loading, unloading stuff. That will work uh, good, uh, you know, so the driver doesn't get tired. If he gets tired in the halfway of, like, Bakersfield, so he can have his four-hour break, and then after that, he goes safely. If he's going to Los Angeles, so he gets, goes from there to there, like, within uh, within 11 hours period, see? But uh, he gives he le- takes, like, 10-hour break a day, like, it's 24-hour clock. He takes 10-hour break and then drives 11-hour only, see? So that way, mm-hmm. safely from point A to point B, the driver is good to go there, see? So basically, the, what, what I'm hearing from you, Sajinder, is that the rigidity of this 
tracking device means that you're able to actually drive less safely than you were before. Yes, because it uh, it gives you only it tells you to drive eight hours, and then after eight hours you take thirty minutes break, and then continue from there till it goes eleven hours. Mm-hmm. See, so driver for sitting one time eight hours is quite long. Yeah. See? So yeah. what I'm saying, if he goes like after four or five hours, he wants to take a break like uh, Fresno. Okay, I take four hours break, then uh, from there to L.A., I got time, see? I can just run it down before morning, next morning. So, okay. So his clock goes starting from, okay, he's leaving from Hayward, uh, so there. So he goes within 24 hours, he takes 10-hour break and drives 11 hours only, see? So that, that will help, uh, like, split it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sinjur, thank you. Thank you so much. And that kind of gets to uh, one of our earlier callers' um, points about, you know, the people who are closest to this stuff, the people who are kind of subject to these surveillance uh, efforts and and regulations, they actually have some of the solutions, like Sinjur is suggesting, around being able to sort of split this thing or have, have more autonomy about how these clocks are running on their day. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's actually a pretty common theme you know, not only within trucking, but across a lot of different industries and workplaces where people are increasingly kind of being tracked or, or, or monitored by different technologies where, you know, oftentimes it, the worker knows, like, this is important work for me to do or this is the thing I should be doing right now or it's not, you know, and what the technology can count, right, or what kind of gets easily measured digitally often maybe isn't that thing, like isn't, doesn't make sense given the context um, of the actual worker that, that the worker knows. Um, but it's a common thing, right, to sort of see managers deploy these kinds of technologies, even if doing that kind of um, doesn't acknowledge the expertise that people bring to their jobs. Yep, yep. And that's such a, for, for people who are considering buying this book, you should buy it because that's such an interesting part of what you explore in this book as well as that kind of like body knowledge and how it interacts with our uh, logistical systems, which, you know, deliver absolutely everything to the stores and your door and everything else. Let's go to uh, another driver, Don, uh, listening in from uh, Portland, Oregon. Welcome. Howdy, howdy. I'm actually in Utah. I'm live streaming. Oh, great. Uh, I am a member of KQED. Um <laughs> I, you know, the idea that we need no regulation, of course, isn't sane. I've been doing this for decades. I go back to paper logs. It was never the drivers that was the problem for the most part. It was the companies. Mm. I, I have driven, because the company required me to, from St. Paul to Fontana, California, in two and a half days. They literally, mm. you can, they'll force you to drive three or four hours in a 24-hour know, period. You can do it, but it's illegal. It's dangerous. It's very taxing. The problem, of course, and this is a repeated theme, and it's true, just drive around with the truckers and talk to them. The problem with the clocks is they're poorly designed. The 70-hour clock is too complex to explain, but experienced drivers know how to legally get past it. What it does is supposedly gets you to stop every week for 34 hours. But if you know what you're doing, you can legally get past it, but it requires you to not stop. So I work seven days a week for about 350 days a year. Mm. I make 90000 a year, and mm. a quarter of my income is not taxed. So I make good money because I work for a good company, but not all companies you know, are good. The mm-hmm. other bit of surveillance is I work for a very risk-adverse company, and even though it wasn't mandated by either my physician or the DOT examiner, they decided the legal department, even though I don't qualify, I have no symptoms, they wanted me on a sleep apnea machine because of my mm. age. 
and I had already signed a pre-employment stuff and went on for a couple of months. I threatened to get legal. At the end, I just said, fine. So I have a sleep, sleep apnea machine, which, you know, I don't need. My yeah. the doctor says, you don't meet any of the criteria. It doesn't matter. This way, they can keep track of your sleep patterns. Uh, and they literally will, if you don't get seven hours of sleep, they will call you up and go, hey, buddy. Can you go okay? back to bed? <laughs> oh man! Yeah, can you go back to bed? And I, I sleep well. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a very conscientious driver. I've got 22 years of driving, no accidents, no tickets, yeah. and I work for the best company in the country. But oh boy, talk about granular data! It's endless, and I do very well. So I've got the little scoreboard, but they know everything about you. And man. again, we can't go with no regulation. That's not an option. But they should have worked with the, the drivers and designed it better. Anyway, thank you very much. I really appreciate this show. I love KQED. Keep up the good work. Hey, Don, thank you so much. Thanks for uh, for listening in as you uh, move around the country. I, I will think of you in uh, <laughs> on the passes. Um, I mean, you know, here's what I'm thinking based on, you know, these last three uh, calls from, from truckers and um, Raya earlier. I mean, we've kind of set up the incentives of the industry in opposition to the rules. And what that does is it generates all this risk, right? Because you've got to somehow, you've got to somehow get the job done around the rules or through the rules or with the rules, and that risk is now accumulating with the drivers, right? Even though they're kind of the least powerful actors in this. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think you know what Don said um, about his company and sleep and all that. Like that, you know, I think makes that really clear. I think it also really tracks with some other kind of the bleeding edge of these technologies is, you know, much more invasive kind of biometric monitoring. Um, you know, some of these systems involve like cameras that will face the driver at all times um, and use AI to detect like how often his eyelids are fluttering or, you know, whether his head is nodding, stuff like that, and then sends little alarms back to the back to the home base. Um, you know, like the stuff or wearable devices that track a trucker's brain waves or heart rate and stuff like this stuff can get pretty intimate pretty fast mm -hmm. um and i agree with you right like a lot of a lot of what i think became clear to me in in working on this and in getting to know folks in the industry is that you know oftentimes we talk about technology in terms of like are the robots coming for our jobs or something like you know are we all gonna lose our jobs because computers are so great now or something mm -hmm. and what's happening in trucking right really i think hits home the fact that what's at stake is not just the number of jobs that people have but like the dignity inherent in those mm -hmm. jobs right mm -hmm. truckers still have their jobs if they want them but what it is to be a trucker is different because you know now your company knows how many hours you've been sleeping right or now yeah. you know you've lost the ability to make decisions to keep yourself safe or you know that reflect what you know about your body and your environment um, and those types of things are really important, too, right? We have to keep our eye, I think, on both of those balls at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds so similar to what uh, I've heard from some of the older longshoremen who experienced the transition to mm. containerization and just the change and who controlled the work and how it went. Yeah, uh, exactly. We also have Scott uh, writing in to say, I know the show's about trucking, but I'm a commercial bus driver with very similar experience and work. I heard parking problems briefly mentioned, and I feel like there's a huge problem with the commercial large vehicle industry. Cities and counties are increasingly against large vehicle staging or parking in their area, even when we are so important for business, tourism, etc. We also have electronics tracking our every move in the bus and even a camera on it at all times. Originally, I was against it, but I feel like the benefits outweigh the problems, especially when it can prove a problem wasn't my fault. Paul writes in to say, please put push back a little more about the idea of dangerous truckers out there. I'm sure big rig accidents are mostly caused by drivers realizing they're about to miss an exit and cutting the big rig off 
And we know the monitoring is mostly about shareholder return, just like everything in business is. Example, the trucker who injured Tracy Jordan and killed his friend. He drove like 22 hours to get where his truck was just to get in it and drive away. Thank Walmart and big business for that. And last, Greg writes, Amazon's huge on worker surveillance and their system of digital surveillance seems very similar to what the guests describe in the trucking industry. So I think what we're hearing here, Karen, is you know a request for you to, to zoom out for us and say, what it, with all that you've learned about the trucking industry and how it works, how do you think this applies to kind of the broader uh, set of, of workplace surveillance that the rest of us are under? Yeah, I mean, I wish we had time to talk about each of those comments because they're also rich. But, you know, I think a lot depends. There's obviously a whole lot of variation in big industries. There are some companies that deploy these things more thoughtfully than others. You know, no, there's never a simple answer to these things. So I think there are, you know, are ways in which these things can catch like the worst of the worst actors and keep them from doing bad things. But there are also a whole lot of other effects, right? And so we have to kind of consider all those things together. You know, I think generally, if we're if we're starting to think about seeing technology, productivity tracking technology or safety tracking technology in lots of different work environments, which I think we are, especially post-pandemic, right? Like more and more mm-hmm. of us are dealing with this stuff or seeing it embedded in office software, that kind of stuff. You know, we just have to start thinking about those trade-offs, right? And whether those technologies are able to, you know, meaningfully count the work that folks do and what what the negative side effects might be as well. Yeah. Last comment from Candace. I work with truckers. The lifestyle sets them up for failure on many levels, including health, which in turn sets them up for substance misuse, legal and illegal. We should honor truckers in the same way we honor nurses, teachers, doctors, and so on. Without truckers, none of us, including me, could do our jobs. If you bought it, the trucker brought it. How about positive <laughs> technology that wagers health, not profit? We'll leave you with Alabama's roll-on 18-wheeler. Many thanks to our guest, Karen Levy, author of the new book, Data-Driven, Truckers Technology and the New Workplace Surveillance. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. Yeah. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host, Marisa Lagos. For the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. 
available wherever you get your podcasts.